it's time for the Doctor Who Flashcast. One day late for those who are listening immediately or who are normally immediate listeners. I am Jason Snell. I was traveling this weekend. There were some family engagements. In fact, I'm still traveling, which allowed me to replay something that we did a couple of years ago, which is I watched an episode of Doctor Who in person with Glenn Fleischman, who joins me now immediately afterward to talk about it. Hi, Glenn. Hi. It's really funny. I opened the door and there was a blue telephone box and you stepped out of it. I so did. It worked very conveniently. I thought, I thought you were going to say there was a blue man in a spacesuit. <laughs> There's also the blue man box. But we're, we're not being racist. A lot of our friends nice. are blue people. <laughs> Uh, this is Oxygen by Jamie Matheson, who wrote one of my favorite episodes of the eighth series of Doctor Who, which was Flatline. He also wrote Mu- Murder on the you know, Mummy on the Orient Ooh, Express. Yeah. Those were back-to-back, and both really good. Mm-hmm. So uh, I uh, like Jamie Matheson's work a lot. I think he's one of these up-and-coming Doctor Who writers. I hope we see him again in future seasons. Mummy was kind of an escape room drama, too, like this one. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly right. And this is, and this is definitely Doctor Who... I mean, last last week's episode, which you didn't see, but I, I I've seen, is a haunted house episode. I read of it, and this is a kind of zombie spaceship murder run around thing. So it's sort of in the horror genre again, meant to be scary. I thought it was, I thought it was sort of suitably spooky. Yeah. It started out. I mean, that was a super scary opening. I, Isn't that great? It was great. Space and, the Final Frontier. And the Star Trek joke in there and then immediately follow it up <laughs> with this sort of tragic, um, she's going to tell him that uh, that she, they want she wants to have a baby and then instead she is murdered by uh, space zombies. Yeah, and it was uh, I thought it was a good setup because they they gave us the wrong information. So we thought we're seeing one thing. We think, okay, oh, these poor people are running out of oxygen and wait, credits? What? Oh, there must be some commerce angle in here. Then we see these bodies. We think they're already dead. Then we see them land and start to move. Then we're like, oh, it's space zombies. They're alive. And that's all wrong, right? Like, yeah. like we learn I mean, almost everything you think you know from the, the opening is wrong, which is great. Yeah, I like the misdirection of the fact that we're led to believe because of the way their faces look and all that it's going to be um, a zombie kind of story. Yeah. And in fact, it ends up being that these are smart suits and the suits are doing the killing and walking and yeah. all of that, which is really interesting. We got, This episode starts, so after the credits... Um, you and I, the episode we watched and then immediately spoke about in person a couple of years ago was Listen. <laughs> I noticed we go back to the chalkboard, which features yes. so prominently in that episode with a little con- conversation. This is the doctor doing his full-on university lecture, um, very slowly making a skull out of the star by connecting the dots of the stars on his chalkboard. The, uh, the space is death. Um, but uh, that's just the... The nice setup for let's go to let's go to space because he wants to take Bill out into space. It almost became one of these, uh, you know, Hitchhiker. Every once in a while, you get the echoes of Hitchhiker's Guide and Doctor Absolutely. Who. Absolutely, they certainly love it. Like space is really big; it's so mind-bogglingly, mm-hmm. astonishingly big. Let me just tell you how big it is. It's like in this one. I mean, this is. I think this season we we're talking earlier about um, how in the first episode of this run, we have the doctor tell Bill that everything isn't evil. It's just hungry. In this, we're told space is just mostly empty. It's out to kill you because that's just kind of what its nature is, is these little bubbles we live in. It's kind of this theme he's going on about like the goodness of things that don't want to eat you that are exist in a generous place are these tiny, tiny, tiny places in space, most of which is empty or hungry. Yeah. Space is not, space is trying to kill you not because it's evil yeah but because it has low pressure and our bodies are bad at that and our tears will boil it's implacable yeah 
Yeah, no, that's that is a very interesting. The uh, the we find out later the true enemy <laughs> is capitalism. That's right. Late stage, <laughs> late stage capitalism, as we know, uh, the doctor, is really the enemy. For those who are who are are new to Doctor Who and are not a, and are are amazed that the Doctor is making such wild political statements, I would say brush up on your classic doctor who <laughs> this is who the doctor is it uh I, I it amuses me greatly as it always has it's actually true when you look at like all of the space all of the episodes of doctor who that involve spacesuits in the modern series i can think of there's always some capitalism thing going on there's uh you know i'm thinking of the christmas special with kylie minogue there's the although spacesuits weren't no, i'm sorry it wasn't spacesuit that was like uh, angel robots those androids yeah that's right that but was then, totally different and they uh, have the the one uh, i forgot the name of the episode where they're they take a piece of the sun and the sun is mad you have creatures right. walking around spaces but that's like a business proposition thing because they want to sell this piece of the sun you've got uh silence in the library and its sequel which have people in spacesuits and the spacesuits those are yeah, yeah those are murderous uh but that's a business thing too you think it's a business thing because you think they're there as like a, re- a reclamation crew or something right and it turns out to be a family story so basically murderous spacesuits are big business i don't want to be around any spacesuits no definitely not um the doctor is taking Bill on a trip to space and she picks something innocuous and he basically says, or we could go to this blinking red one that is a, that is a distress call. He says that that is my theme tune, the distress call. <laughs> and um, later in the episode, I, I pointed out to you that I wonder if this is what the doctor does. Yeah. If he literally has a list of every distress call that's ever been made in history and he's just going down the list <laughs> one yeah, by yeah. one. That's kind of it. Well, I thought, I don't think we've ever seen the doctor, point to something and like we need to go there because i see that but it makes sense this is kind of the moffat working out all the moffat ideas and um this is certainly one of them right yep uh we we get a we get a classic doctor who reference to fluid links in the tardis that's just out there for those who want their classic doctor who references nardole badgers uh the doctor about the vault being uh, left unguarded, which it's not supposed to be. This is our running storyline for this season. What's the, going on with the vault? Then we get the hint. He's like, you built, you gave me this face and he bubbles his face. And we're like, so wait, this isn't classic Nardole that we learned from. Yeah, uh, Nardole hasn't seen that face in ages. He, he had, a, he had to change it or something like that. I think yeah. Nardole had suggested, I, I think that's just a toss off joke, but it is yeah. pretty funny that that's the, I mean, theoretically Nardole is also only just uh, a head. Right, and the rest of them is a robot body. But yeah, it's but he unclear. still needed a spacesuit with oxygen, though. So. Yeah, well, the, I think he's... Don't think about it too hard. I think, I think that's one of those... Head, it's just but, a show you should really just relax moments is yeah. with Nardole's... <laughs> like, what's the deal with Nardole's Reference skeleton? Yeah, yeah. Think, but it's... No, yeah. but I think there, I think there's a point there that we, we're seeing little bits and pieces revealed, and it's like the doctor made a nagging machine, right? Yeah. He needed a companion. He knows he knows that he's bad with that one, so he built Nardole, so he didn't go off, and he told Nardole to bug him and so Nardole's doing what he was told to do and the doctor's aggravated about it because he wants to go off into space yeah we've been talking all season about what Nardole's role is in the show since Bill is a traditional companion in every sense of the word and it's he's he's the man in Havana he's the tin dog fair enough but he's also like the almost like the butler or the manservant yeah. or the or the uh, person who's in charge of the house who's sort of got other responsibilities it's almost like he's the maitre d of like the vault <laughs> and so he's there to to serve the doctor sort of but also to kind of bug the doctor right he's not his keeper i mean we've seen uh, uh kinds of science fiction he takes which, orders from him yeah that's a but it's a common theme where you have almost like a you know a functionary or a, a manservant who actually turns out to be in charge of right, right? but in this case um 
there's a classic bit in a Gene Wolfe novel I'm thinking of, in fact, where you think the doctor is the uh, doctor and the patient's like, no, it's the other way around. The patient built the doctor to serve him because he needed a doctor. In this case, I don't know. I think Nardole is just, he's a bug. He's a, he's a quasi-human nagging yeah. machine because the doctor knows what he'll do. The doctor knows his own yeah. nature. And he's, and he's up on everything. He's got compassion and he knows what all the details are. When they're traveling too, which we see, we saw in episode one, and he's finally sort of traveling with, with the doctor and Bill in this episode. We've sort of got this three uh, companion dynamic or three team dynamic, two companion dynamic. And, but what the 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 counterbalance, the the way it's different is that Bill is experiencing things firsthand as you'd expect a companion to do, and Nardole at no point. He gets upset because he thinks, you know, Bill's going to be in danger, and 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 he's worried about the vault, but he's never sort of surprised about like right. why well, I, I don't know what it's like to do any of this he's an old hand at it like the doctor in that way well he traveled with river song if it really is the same nardal head yeah exactly he, he lived on uh, the nightfall planet or a midnight rather for uh, many many years and uh, and all the rest but or hundreds yeah, of he years gets, ostensibly he, he gets a, he gets around yeah nardal does he's yeah he's an old soul he's not as old as the doctor but he's clearly he's got to be hundreds of years old I, I still don't know if they know what they're doing with him yet is what it feels like no i think he's well honestly from a, an outside perspective of, of of thinking of the season instead of trying to this is that endless yeah. watson is watson doyleist thing that yeah. i'm sort of getting into now where it's like there's one motivation on the inside which is he's the man in havana he's there he's there because he's telling the doctor what to do from the outside text of the show i think he's a trap door i think he's a string yeah. tied to the tied to the vault door yeah, tied to right. the plot of the season and he's going to be sprung at some point but right now he's more just kind of there to remind us all that this is a plot line and yeah. that the doctor is being and also that the doctor is being irresponsible and may pay for it right by mm-hmm. insisting on traveling when they're supposed to be standing still right. I, th- I think that that's the implication I mean, there's an interesting thing is in other seasons we have this incredible dead weight here of the vault and we're not sure how long the doctor's been there we think it's decades we, it's, it's yeah it's first suggested that he may have been there for, for 50 really or more times. years but at the university in other seasons he's just running headlong into danger or to save people or whatever and it doesn't matter in some particular incarnations he didn't care if he was about to die and this one he has a job he has a responsibility yeah, he's, he's shirking he's, his responsibility yeah, he's more like the third doctor at some level kind of anchored in a place you know oh the, the the parallels to the third doctor i don't know if we've talked about it on the flashcast this season the first doctor there are lots of parallels lots of references being made mm-hmm. but the third doctor parallel i think erica maybe mentioned it when when she was on um the third doctor had an office basically that yeah. he parked the TARDIS in and hung out with the crew of, of the you know the Brigadier and and uh, and Benton and and Joe Grant and um, this is like that where he's got his office and there's he parks the TARDIS in the corner and he's got his desk and he and and then he's got the vault over somewhere else and yeah. so that is that is almost third doctor ish in in the way that it's set up. That's yeah, a different relationship to earth. And the TARDIS a, isn't his home, the right. office, right? The TARDIS no, is right. much more like his car oh. in this. And he parks it there. And then he goes back to his office where he does his job. Yeah. A lot of Tom Bakery stuff too. I, I find more and more. It's Capaldi has his own interpretation, but he'll say something in a certain way, and I'm like, I'm like, that is a, almost a Tom Baker intonation. Mm-hmm. And I know he's not doing it. He's not trying to mimic anything, but there's almost he channels some Tom Baker nature. I think more than uh, uh, other the three previous ones in this run. I think Capaldi does something 
it's not it's not that David Tennant and Matt Smith didn't have their moments of being an alien. Yeah. But Capaldi does the um the I Walk in Eternity, which is I think from Pyramids of Mars, but it's a Tom Baker to Sarah Jane. Mm-hmm. Um I'm a Time Lord, I walk in eternity. That kind of yeah. of serious you don't understand i i am alien and have experienced things you don't understand mm. i think capaldi does that in a way that really reminds yeah. me of baker and how he did it that that super alien you know far off like looking looking a million miles into mm-hmm. the distance while he talks to you kind of feeling i get that from capaldi there's the one moment in uh, not to go too far to other depths here but the first uh, with um uh, our friend Christopher Eccleston, the last episode when he kisses Rose and he says, you know, do you see, she says, I see all of time and space and whatever. And he says, and doesn't it drive you mad? That's how I feel all the time. Or that's what I see all the time. And you're like, that is a very different <laughs> thing than someone walking through time. It was this one moment there. But no, you're right. I think Capaldi is more alien. Uh, he's not, you know, than Matt Smith, certainly. I, I get that. I, I definitely get that vibe from him, which I like. Um, we have the TARDIS. One of the things that they've they've put into the TARDIS lore is the idea that there's an air shell around it. You can open the doors in space and yeah. you don't die. Um, and so that's sort of extended here where literally extended. He pushes it out a little bit um, because there's no oxygen in this, in this space station that they land on where there was the distress call. And it turns out the space station is meant to be airless because they... What they instead do is they have everybody wear a spacesuit and then they charge them like they're indentured servants. Basically, they're charging them for their oxygen as they do their jobs. This is on such the space an station. Internet of Things problem. It's the Internet of Things that will kill you. Problem. I was just looking. Um, there was a, a joy of uh, tech strip that someone was passing around about uh, devices asking for you to pay for them for various things. Remind me of Ubik, the uh, Philip K. Dick novel, where there's a great scene where a guy like can't get out of his apartment because the door wants money and it's an AI and he hasn't paid the door. And I was thinking, oh God, everything in the future is going to demand us demand money, oxygen, food. You want to move your arm, your left arm? That'll cost you five well, bucks. Well, it's, it's the. Um and apologies to all the libertarians out there, but it's a bit of that libertarian fantasy of of um, nobody should pay for services that they don't use, at right. which point everything gets a toll gate. Yeah. And this is a little bit like that. It reminded me of um, – there's a Ian McDonald, I want to say, book, Luna, New Moon, which we read for the Incomparable oh, yeah. Book Club. And that one of the premises there is all the people who live on the moon have an oxygen allotment that they're measured by. That's what I was trying to remember, yes. And that, and that, they, that is a currency. When oxygen is, is rare, it's part of what you're being charged. Also, though, I mean, fundamentally what this concept is getting at, and it's not even subtle, frankly, is – uh, sweatshops and other forms of indentured servitude mm-hmm. where you are paid, but then all of your paycheck or most of it, or sometimes more than your paycheck is deducted for your room and board and other things that are mandatory that, or, or that you need to live. And so you end up in a position where you have workers who are completely trapped and can't escape because they're being charged for things that they need to live. And that is, that is the, darkest part of a Mm -hmm. capitalist enterprise and that's what you see here this is like that it reminds me a little bit of the very political stories that robert holmes wrote in classic doctor who which were scabrous stories about taxation and all sorts of other things and i mean that that i think jamie matheson here this is what he's saying is this is the this is the darkest heart of capitalism Mm -hmm. and as there's a speech at the end where the doctor says it that the end point of capitalism is when there's no value to life we're just here fighting the suits 
Yeah, that was, uh, a good, that was a good laugh line. That, that's the kind of line like, that you write an entire Doctor Who episode right, to get it, to. It built up, and that was the punchline. But it's it's true, and it ties in. I mean, there's a lot of, I think we were talking before, there's a lot of different Doctor Who episodes that sort of are indictments of capitalism told through, um, you know, uh, uh, ad extremum. Uh, uh, sure, science fictional premises. That yeah, are- absurdum, yeah uh, reductio ad absurdum, mm-hmm. or, or ad extremum. But anyway, like it, I was thinking of the uh, the episode with the, the flesh, um, the two parter oh, sure. yeah. there where they are sort of creating slaves. Right. And so the work, so they're workers working under somebody's thumb and everyone's like, no, no, the, the it's called the flesh, right? They, yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, they're, they, they're, they're sort of being driven by the, by their flesh, uh, their doppelgangers. Yeah. Who are so real, it's, but they're, it's they slaves, turn out to but be it's flesh and blood. Also themselves. in terms of this weird capitalist thing where they're getting all the acid out of or the water. It right. reminds me of moon a little bit. If you've seen the movie moon, Duncan, Duncan Jones, uh, uh, mm. directed, uh, it, it has, without spoiling it, because you should watch it, it's yeah. a really good movie, um, but the idea there, too, is that the guy who's Sam Rockwell, who is working on this mm. moon base all by himself, um, that his corporate parents are also not interested in his care to an extreme, and yeah. uh, and he gets in an accident and basically is left for dead, and they're just going to send his replacement. And I'm not going to explain more about what happens in that movie, but to say that I was reminded of that as well in this. And this is almost it's almost the inverse of The Martian. Like in The Martian, yes, he's accidentally left for dead. What won't we do to save this right, guy? We'll we'll move like <laughs> billions of dollars will almost jeopardize the entire program of the the Earth in order to right. save this one man because he left him behind. Whereas again, here at the end point of capitalism and oxygen, there's a crew of 40 people mining and they have a mechanical breakdown and the decision is made by the corporation to kill them all to save on oxygen I didn't, and yeah, then I just it, send, a re, send a replacement they're crew. saying the replacement crew but was the replacement crew going to fix who was going to fix the equipment then there's I, some, that's what there's i assumed plot, is plot. that they were going to that the, they were sending the mechanics to fix I the guess. To fix the thing, or they were going to have the suits fix the thing, and then oh, the and replacements the would take over. Oh, that was probably because they said the save on it. Uh, they'd already sent the replacement ship, and the suits were just going to yeah. do the work. They, we saw them repairing so they did the things. Math, they did the math and, yeah. re- and, and realized it would be easier to kill their employees so that they didn't use oxygen. Which, Why you know, did they again, have people there in the first place? Yeah, you get those little This plot is holes. your science fiction uh, expansion of a premise, I think, beyond. You know, again, you could probably reason it out and say, "I guess there's a scenario where the oxygen yeah. is is so expensive that it's it's worth killing well, the people off." Also, but. given the events of this week, this episode resonance or had a resonance where you have the NHS being unable to perform life threatening surgeries because of a hack and at one point the doctors or they they suspect this kill all humans thing right, is a, is hack. a hack and I'm like, "Oh my god, they couldn't have timed this yeah. episode any better, could they?" But it turns out it's not a yeah. hack. It's coming from inside. It's coming from inside the suit. The company it's true. inside the suit. So, so only thirty six of the forty people on the on the crew are are dead. By the way, we find out that means there are four survivors. You, that's where the distress call comes from. You got to love a base under siege. You got to love a few survivors that the doctor has to try and save. We know that some of them aren't going to make it, but some of them yeah. maybe will. And as the doctor says, uh, the universe shows its true face by asking for help, and we show ours in how we respond, mm-hmm. which is his good Samaritan. Uh, pl- I mean, that's how that's how he views his 
his role in the universe, basically. And, you know, and Bill has a companion. So, you know, some companions are more selfless than others. We had Martha, who's a doctor. She runs towards, or was trained to be a doctor. She runs towards things, right? We had Donna, who, when she uh, sees the Ood, and she's like, doctor, this isn't, I didn't know it would be like this. You know, on the, on the she sees the Ood suffering, she hears their song. Right. But then she comes around and realizes this is something that she needs to do. We're still not sure, but Bill, Nardal is like, let's run, let's get back to the TARDIS. It's cool. It'll right. all work out. Um, and Bill's like, yeah, we should really go with them and the doctor's like but people called and this is how whatever and she's like yeah okay yeah you know so we but you know it's she's learning He's it teaching makes her. sense to run away from danger all of doctor who is about running away from it and so we watch the companions figure out whether they're going to run away for danger or not the the moment with amy i was thinking about that from the you know the the to the big whale story in the Amy oh, yeah. sequence Beast below. where he, where she's presented with the awfulness of the world and she makes the decision and it's a race for her mind. And the doctor's like, never make that decision for me. And then Amy figures out a way out of that trap and she learns to run towards that. But she's given that chance with bill. It's still, I don't know. I still feel like we don't know exactly what her character is. Yeah. It's a good character, but we don't know. Well, and like I said, I she think runs towards. she's learning, right? Yeah. She's being, she's oh, the yeah. student and he's the teacher. And this is mm-hmm. her, this is the lesson. It is good because most of us run from danger. Sensible people run from danger. Right. Well, you have to learn to be the doctor, right? Yeah. You can't. You you probably are not going to start out. You wouldn't mm-hmm. make it if you just run to danger. I I don't think I talked about it on this podcast, but I have a Twitter friend who researches altruism, and the difference between extreme altruism and sociopathy is very very thin. And, and I think the doctor embodies it. Mm-hmm. People who do extremely good things also break all the rules, don't listen to norms, have unusual feelings. Well, I, I feel like that's the dramatic tension in this episode, too, mm-hmm. is the doctor at, at a couple of points um, makes decisions that make you wonder if he really cares what happens, including right. including um, basically uh, letting Bill stay behind when the zombie spacesuits are coming. Yeah, although he, he, it's clear he's made an evaluation. He can't save her, but he knows that it's probably going to work out best. He'd either lose everyone. He's made a calculation that it makes more sense for her to be a little killed. Right. He tries to reassure her. Partly dead. Um, doesn't give her a choice, but he just yeah. tries to reassure her that she's going to be okay. Eventually, she's going to go through hell, but she's going to be okay. And I think that, you know, when, like... Um, in the in the Frost Fair episode earlier this year, Thin Ice, mm. where he watches the little boy. Oh man, that was hard, right? Yeah, and that that is that is, you know, that's that same feeling of like being on the edge there. Of he he's living a life where he saves a lot of people, but he's also watching a lot of people die, and Bill mm-hmm. has to deal with it in that episode. And that is about living on that edge oh. of extremes. That he sees a lot of horrible things, and perhaps even things that you could argue he should prevent. Um, but his net, you know, he's going for the biggest net benefit mm-hmm. to the universe. And that's, that's, uh, that's how he has to account yeah, for it. I took a meditation class a few years ago from a fellow who, um, he worked as a hospice worker after being a monk in Thailand and so forth. He came back to America and he talked about that. It's not a letting go, but it's this thing. You go to a family that's in need, someone's dying. You can't take it with you, the next family. And when I heard the doctor talk about that, and you see that today at the end of the episode, there's one thing we could say, maybe this isn't directed well, right? When the doctor knows that 38 people have died, he's saved two. But his focus is he saved the two. The, that wasn't inevitable, right? Everyone would have died if he hadn't been there. He, it's not like he didn't try to save the other two. But, you know, and I always come back to the doctor dancing one where it's like, he's like, 
this time everyone lives and so early in this whole new run to have that and i always think about that yeah, and he, poor and he, guy in fact he says just give me this one uh, right just this once everybody lives because right. that's not usually what happens i like how he gives them not not that we're jumping to the end but i like yeah. that he gives them the decision at the end the choice yeah. of i'll take you anywhere and lets them say we're going to take this to to the the management of the company and he and yeah. he says i don't know what happened after that but 6 months later there was a revolution so you know which is that reminds me of um strangely of the end of mirror mirror the original star trek series oh, yeah. where they where they talk mr spock into revolting against the the uh their government the i forget what it's called it's yeah. not the federation in that it's the, the empire Earthen, or something the no, and not. uh it's futurama and you know he says i'll consider it and it's one of those things yeah. of like that that's a very doctor who kind of thing to do i think mm-hmm. which is you plant the seed you let that person decide and you and you let it go and you see what happens doesn't capitalism look tired <laughs> <laughs> just a few words that i need to say to um so uh, the middle part of the story, basically, um, well, first we see a, a suit working, and there's a funny moment where he pops the head off, <laughs> and they're like, ah, and it's like there's nobody in the suit, which establishes that the suits can do a lot of these jobs without people. Um, it does make you realize that the people are only there because there are obviously certain things that require human right. intelligence, but right. they're not there to do the physical work because the suits are perfectly capable. And it sets us up for knowing that the suits can move of their own accord mm-hmm. without people in them, which is what's happening in the plot. And, and, and the doctor also speculates like maybe they've gained a little sentience. He says something in passing. Yeah. And because it, which is a great, you know, after the smile episode, of course, we're thinking about, well, maybe did more robots. Do these things gain sentience and they're just, they don't like the flesh bots, the flesh things are carrying around. Who knows yeah. and, that's, and that's not it but it's it's like all the things he has to consider yeah. like in this episode he's doing a lot of trying to figure out what's going on yeah. and I, for me sometimes that's the most fascinating part of doctor who is trying to watch the doctor he's oh. piece together the puzzle yeah and i thought actually one of the creepiest moments in the in the show is because uh dialing, dialing back there a little bit is you know we have the opening we get everything wrong they set us up for all these wrong right. understandings we have feelings for people and then they're killed obviously and then um there's the dead body that's just staying there because the suit's keeping it up and then when when it starts to move and you're like oh it's the suit like i remember thinking this guy's a zombie he's going to reanimate there's something that's going to trigger it and it's like oh it's the suit just a dead body happens to be in the suit wow which makes it creepier yeah but and and reminds us that they killed all the people it it turns out that the the instruction that's being received by the suits is (laughs) deactivate your organic component which they think is a hack um there's there's an at, at this point in the show there's a line that i really liked where one of the survivors says to the doctor, what if you're wrong? Yeah. And he says, well, if I'm wrong, we die. But consider I'm right. And right. I really liked, I yeah. just really liked that. Like, <laughs> okay, that would be bad. But what if I'm right? Let's think right. about that. Let's focus on that. Right. Consider that I'm right. Then then we'll get out of there. We're facing but, certain death, so any alternative is better than certain death. Too. Yeah. So relax or die. Right. You must breathe normally. Um this is when they find also they find all the people so it's uh well i guess i guess it's bill says what if you're wrong we die because then we meet the people yeah and we meet meet a blue man um where there's bizarre but funny 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 jokes about that great great we rescued a racist no i usually get that why he says looks beautiful um but that's a very white thing it's the well we don't see race because now we've gone to a future (laughs) which we see color but only blue 
Um, I'm here to save your lives. Now, if you don't want me to, the doctor says to them, which is, you know, that's a great way into a plot. Oh. It's like, like I can just go home if you want me to not save you. Very beast below. We we also get the, this is why it's like, it's not an escape room exactly, but it's like this setup, right? The TARDIS is immediately locked behind an airlock, so we can't get to it. Yeah. The like in sonic beast, screwdriver uh, is pulled away right, from him. Is it beast below where it gets put in a space station? It's a... Uh, Oh, which one is it? Where it's put in a space station with the devil way down. Oh yeah, the, yeah, no, yeah, that, that's yeah. that's not the beast below. Uh, that, that's uh, that's the uh, um, uh, Satan pit. Yeah, planet of, right. So uh, impossible the, planet. Right. Satan. Pit. He arrives and immediately the TARDIS is beyond reach. Right? Yeah, it falls down into the pit. Right, and this one that arrives. This you TARDIS got, yeah, is it's immediately it's, locked behind a door. Then right, and then the sonic screwdriver is destroyed by the by the suit. It kills the, yeah. the screwdriver exactly. And so then then he's uh, the doctor's put. He's going to have one more problem before the end <laughs> no, but he's like he's got that so um so yeah so that that puts the doctor at a disadvantage which is which is good um and that leads to a first thing that uh that they they get into the airlock they got to put their helmets on mm-hmm. because the oxygen force shield which is basically an excuse for them to not have to act with a with a helmet on yeah. the whole episode yeah. um but they can't use it outside they can't that there's not enough the pressure is so low out there i guess but they're in a pr- unpressured environment with no oxygen no so. well there might be there might be nitrogen or some oh, other readily available gas right. that's we not as expensive it's right. just not something that okay. you can breathe right so oh, no, right. it has to be pressurized because they would boil their yeah would, uh, so the, it's pre- it's pressurized but there's no oxygen okay Fair that's enough. the premise we're just gonna go with it sure. um but bill's helmet doesn't work because she's got a really dodgy spacesuit and so we have this this moment where she basically gets flash frozen and um and then what we get is this uh fade in fade out uh she's barely kind of coming in and out of consciousness so we see you know lasers and 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 suits flying up into this into into space having been blown off the station and the doctor reacting and a, a bunch of things that she doesn't really understand right there's the cut is, to the doctor we see the doctor without a helmet yeah right. and it's a and it, it's an effective way to get across the excitement of this obviously fraught battle with the zombie spacesuits as they go across mm-hmm. to another part of the station without actually paying for and showing it to us. Um, but I, I liked that. And then she wakes up and it turns out that she's okay, but the doctor is blind. Doctor is blind. Yeah. He got his eyes got frozen. That's new. I don't think we've had one of those. I thought we'd have a, um, a Vulcan second eyelid, uh, solution here oh you know time lords have two eyelids and uh, one of the retracts or or oh he can survive in the the vacuum of space because time lords etc etc he did he survived for a long time right um but no we don't get a deus ex machina here precisely no he's blind for the rest of the episode but uh you know he's still pretty good at his job yeah he's good at and it. he's got some eyes from a lizard on the sh- on the tardis that maybe <laughs> that he, can, he can take so um so blue guy dies this this um maybe gets a little repetitive in this part where we have maybe one too many assaults and, and uh, by zombie spacesuits and somebody dies and they run away. Well, it's uh, for people being under such threat. Yeah. I did like the notion. Actually, it was really clever. They're in a new section and they're like, this hasn't been mapped yet, so they can't see us. And then the thing is, of course, you know, they already realized 
that the suits are, uh, I mean, you know, plot hole, whatever, but they realize the suits are smarter than they seem to be, but they have, it's a bit of human nature. You are still assume something's as stupid as you thought it was before that it doesn't yeah. learn. And the thing, of course, it's like taking picture. You watch, and we're watching. It was actually good, like, uh, direction and setup, which is we're watching the camera, the suit cameras take pictures. It's listening. And so this is in section 12. And then it just says, boop, here we have a map of the new thing. And then it attacks. But yeah. for people under siege by zombie suits, you would think, that they would be paying a little more attention and then, but no blue man gets it. Yeah. And closing more doors and da all annual that. Daniel to is his name. No, had a good, uh, in the middle of his name somewhere. Sorry, blue man. Um, blue man group disbanded. And, and this is when the doctor leaves bill, um, as they're being chased, her, her suit has broken yet again. And he says, um, we're, I'm going to leave you. You're going to go through he- hell, but you will survive. I will see you soon. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those moments where, um, you know, he's reassured her, but at the same time, he's leaving her behind. The The zombies are marching and they're leaving and she is going to sit there and let them come up to them. It's really scary, um, even if he's reassured her that it's going to be fine. Yeah, you know, it's, of course, the suits are designed to uh, pass uh, software updates through touch, which is good. It's a good feature. Yeah, well, in case... Well, that's something that I appreciated from the opening scene because in the opening scene it's explained that there are uh that they're having communications problems exactly yeah. and that that's and that's obviously why they haven't been killed the man and the woman and uh and then she is touched by that uh, one of the other spacesuits and that's what gets her you know her helmet, her helmet blown the, off and yeah. and then and then he escapes but uh it, it's at least there there's consistency there mm-hmm. i felt like um. So in the end, the doctor's in a in a control room, and they're trying to figure out like, can he make oxygen? Five minutes of breathing oxygen, but then the the reactor will blow. He's messing with the coolant and on there, and he says, "I'm not trying to make oxygen." <laughs> and he says, "Life, no matter how bad it gets, there's always one optional left, which is dying well." And um. <laughs> At this point, for me, I know exactly what's happening right. here, right? It, it's nice that the that the survivors are still puzzling over what he's doing and that he's really telling them that they're going to die well and have their revenge by blowing up the ship. Although it's also a good point he's made. He makes in a moment later, why didn't you say any of it? It's because the suits are listening. They're listening, yeah. And if he'd explained his plan, they would have locked him out. So there's actually a plot. There's a plot yeah, reason for it. It's yeah. good. And, and it's good. But we know what's going to happen, which is that he's going to uh, set up a conundrum I mean, at least I can't say that. I I knew very well that what he was doing was oh, yeah. he was holding the station hostage. Yeah, he was because obviously this company finds this thing valuable, and he's figured it out right. that th- this is about the company getting rid of its people, and that that'll stop the moment that the alternative is losing the whole station. It was so, and indeed, like, that's what happens. The, it's like the Alien movie series thing too. It's like this it was is, not far off. It was slightly less creepy than is. Alien, but again, for those yeah. for those who are thinking that these are new themes, and I know that happens every now and then, where somebody thinks this is a new theme in Doctor Who or in science fiction, yeah. it really is neither. I mean, the theme of Alien, the first movie, is absolutely that the corporation has decided that the people on the ship are not as valuable as getting the specimen of the alien. And that's why they send the Nostromo to that planet. Spoiler alert Uh for alien. And, uh, and it kills most of them because it's a freaking horror movie about an alien. Um, (laughs) 
Right. In this case, there's no alien. It's just profit. It's just pure profit. Yeah. Uh, what, what I like, too, is when the doctor gives the Masada speech, then the doctor um, noble death music rises. And you know, it's like the doctor is about out. to, we're going to, you know, going out he- with a little blaze hen- of glory. Little no, Henry the Fifth kind of feeling. And, we, we, few, we happy few yes. shall reclaim the oxygen for ourselves. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and so in the end, we get back to that endpoint of capitalism line when there's no value to life, we're fighting the suits, but our deaths will be expensive. And it's explained that he already knew Bill's suit, among its things that were broken about it, it didn't have enough battery to sufficiently zap her to death. <laughs> She's got, right, she got frozen and recovered from that. She, you know, she gets zapped, but right, not badly enough to die just She's to be unconscious for a while. Pretty resilient. It's is a tough, our Bill. D- tough day for Bill. Tough day for Bill. Um, but, but since she's back alive, yay, she and the doctor can have a hug. And then Nardole invites himself into the hug. That made me laugh. That was good. He is good for, he's good for jokes. He's, very like funny. he's got the rubberiest face. And he says to your point, when, when they ask the doctor why he didn't tell them, um, the line that I wrote down that I really enjoyed was, I try never to tell my enemy my secret plan. It's good. He's a professional, people. It's good. He's a professional. But there was. they do decide, the two survivors, to go to the head office, and there was a successful rebellion six months later. And uh, It's very like the Flash, where it's like, hey, we're going to drop you people off here, and you're going to reveal that the Flash is real, and, and everything will be fine. And yeah. it is. And I love that's the bomb-throwing aspect of the Doctor, where he doesn't even need to throw the bombs himself. He just lets the people decide to do the right yeah. thing and have we faith in it. them. And then history will work out as it needs to. As but the, it does. The, but the laugh out line, loud line for me here was, um, that about wraps it up for capitalism. The human race finds a whole new mistake, <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> that was very, yeah. yeah, it was very storybook well, ending that where he said that line. And what I like about it is that's the, for people who will certainly are already in a rage in places on the internet about uh, <laughs> Doctor Who having anti-capitalist uh, rhetoric and, and propaganda, I would say, I feel like this is the flip side of that old line about democracy being, you know, the the um, the best form of government yet devised, yeah. but st- it's still imperfect. Yeah, that's right. And and I feel like this is that this is that same statement, which is if capitalism is the best system yet discovered by humanity, right? Um, that's until we find you know the next one, which will also be imperfect. And um, that's what the doctor's saying here mm-hmm. is we reach the end stage of capitalism where capitalism decays to the point where human life has no value, at which point they have to replace it with something new, mm-hmm. which will have its own flaws and will fall apart because that's life and that's how it is. And I, I just I like his perspective on our society yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of uh, the episode um, from the reboot. Um, oh, what's the one when they go to space station? uh the space station while the television stuff's going on um, with the creature up in the uh, top floor. Oh, floor the long game, yeah. Thank you. And this is welcome to Glenn Ask Jason what the name of a Doctor right. Who it's episode great. is. Jason knows them all, that's right. And, uh, but the bit there, uh, you know, more or less where, you know, this is the end stage of television capitalism. Right, is that it's just reality game, TV and people of the get worst killed. sort yeah, and everybody dies. Exactly. Yeah, 
Yeah, he's got along uh, the the show. I don't think the show despises capitalism, but it finds it's a funny thing when. So there's an issue about scarcity, right? Capitalism thrives on scarcity because if you have plenty, you don't need uh, a mechanism in order to exchange value and so forth, right? So in the future, this is kind of the Star Trek conundrum. If you have and they go through this in different ways in Star Trek. Sometimes money exists in Star Trek. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes the doctor has to carry money. Sometimes it's just whatever. It's like if you're in a future where they're off in the middle of nowhere mining copper for whatever reason they're mining copper yeah. out there it must make sense in that society in the one of the great and bountiful human empires uh then you know then then there is a, a capitalism it seems to be the dominant mode that you're not like in a collective enterprise here well yeah and i think the i think definitely this take on it is that um capitalism where the rights and powers of the companies overwhelm the rights and powers of the workers could never happen in reality though of course uh, leads to this <laughs> logical conclusion that's right there's no metaphor no metaphor for the mm. present time at all hi jamie matheson we see um, you i like uh at the end we're back yeah in back in the office and bill says her goodbyes and uh, nardole reads the doctor the riot act and doctor's sitting there with his sunglasses on and says and Nardole says, you need to be ready if that door opens at the vault. And he says, Nardole, I'm still blind. He's bum, been, bum, bum. he had, he had like the sonic screwdriver or whatever. He had the TARDIS and he's yeah. like, you could see his eyes and all that. But he says, he's actually still blind. Cliffhanger, twist, next episode, he's going to deal with being blind. Stay tuned for the adventures of the blind doctor. I guess that's for the rest of uh, they ever produced Doctor Who. One of eyesight. That'll yeah, be a well, unique, I mean, uh, that'll I, never change again. I think the question is, does he like regenerate to... His vision, or just point his finger. He's. They seem to Matt Smith. Well, some of the doctors used to be able to do various things about where they could just pull up a little bit of regeneration energy. Or yeah, like. I don't know. I mean, this you know, this doctor did that with uh, with um, our friend, the head of the the Daleks, with Davros. Maybe, maybe this season the doctor will just he'll be like the knight in Monty Python. He'll just. He'd just increasingly oh. be damaged over finally, the course of the season until finally he finally has regenerate. to regenerate. It's like he's got like just a flesh wound. No, he says. Yeah, and he's got no arms left, and and one ear is gone. And uh, it's like all right, it's like all right, screw it. I'm regenerating. It's That's time. Exactly right. Ooh, wearing a little thin. I guess he yeah. looks at his hands. I don't have any fingers left. And exactly right. Yeah, um, I can't. He can't look at his hands. He listens to his hands. That's right. No, I don't. It's a weird thing to set up, but I expect that means next episode will. Uh, um, we'll have a, a, a listen episode. It'll be C. No, we already had blink. We can't have a look. Yeah, then we had listen. I don't know. Look, listen, and you will learn. Um, no, it's interesting. But then we get, you know, we get the bit at the end. We get the preview of the next episode, which was all kinds of nonsense all in one. Well, no, in, in Nardal, we, we mentioned, he says, do you think our friend down there oh, yeah. is waiting and watching? You know, a couple episodes ago, we had three, not four. Yeah, but three knocks. The, no, from the mystery. The I, I, I have no idea. I still think it's regeneration re- related um, somehow, but it could be master related as well. We the got Valyard. a subliminal Missy. Yeah, the Valyard hiding in the. No, yeah, I don't no, think so. I don't think so. But we did see subliminal Missy That's in, right. the, in the end credits. So I guess Just maybe a f- there's a threat of Missy. A flash and of lots Missy. of like Italian people doing Italian people things. Yeah, Italian people. I didn't know they were Italian. Well, they seemed Italian to me. <laughs> 
successful in eating spumoni? It seemed like, yes, that was it. They, they, they made a pizza and then they drove a Mario Kart. That's what it was. <laughs> Italian people. It looked like, like Italian, like Renaissance Italian people. Oh, I'm sorry. Now I understand. I didn't like, get the... uh, Yeah. Sure. <laughs> they weren't blue, were they? Are you being racist? Here? No. No, I think they might actually have been from Renaissance Italy. Oh, I but see. Now I understand. I don't know what that episode is about, but... We'll find out. There's a, a hand goes through a wall, and there's a oh, little... Oh, yes, yeah, the library. It looked very... Um, I was thinking... Uh, yeah, uh, oh, and we saw the River Song... Uh, we saw the River Song Diary. Yes, the blue book. there, too. Um, and it reminded me of uh, Borges, like the uh, the labyrinth. It was clearly like a little bit of a nod to that. And also to, of course, the uh, Dan Brown... Um, What's the name of his famous book? It's another Glenn Aspdation. The, Divin- the, the Da Vinci Code. Code. Thank you. I, I, I would not. Um, I'm glad we stayed with this episode for you to get to Borges because I yeah, knew we would we get there eventually. If we don't get to Borges, it's not an episode. It's not even. Come on. That was a library. Episode. It looked like an infinite library yeah. somewhere. So. No, that's right. Well, and who do we know? I mean, the other thing about it is the library uh, calls to mind the library and Riversong's yeah, yeah. book that's calls great. the same yeah. to mind. So I wonder if there's a connection or if they're just playing with us. No, that was good. Either. I don't think we've ever, have we ever seen the Pope in a Doctor Who episode before? This is a question for super fans. I think I don't remember seeing the Pope involved. I don't know. We, Did you see the Pope? We was saw the Pope. Pope we saw the Papa. He was the Papa. He was, uh, I think so. It All was right. a guy in a white outfit with a beanie. Okay. And then they kind of showed him briefly and he could hands be. a note that says, uh, truth. Pope. This the is Veri- Pope? Veritas. Oh yeah. Might be regular style Pope. Earth regular Pope. old Pope. Earth okay. Pope. Right. And did he, then he, did he toss up a pizza and get in the Mario Kart? <laughs> yeah, da, 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 da. Um, exactly. yeah. All right. Well, that's next week. So overall, what'd you think? Uh, I thought it started out stronger than it finished, but I thought it was right creepy. Yeah. It was great zombie suits, really good. Mm-hmm. And then plus the creeping realization as it becomes really clear that it's a corporate thing. You're like, it's like zombie suits by soulless corporate suits driving zombie suits to kill the workers. But it was no less creepy when you had these lolling heads and mechanical yeah. things. So I thought, I think it did pretty well. I think the plot was pretty good. It was, a, it was enjoyable, but I feel like the end, it kind of just sort of slumped off a bit, but you know, I did think it was a good finishing point where you have the doctor give a virtuous speech because he knows he's not going to die, but he gets to give the speech anyway. And then it all works out. Yeah. And Mostly then after fun. last week where, which was uh, kind of a downer for, for me and for Joe, when we watched it, we just didn't <laughs> didn't, didn't like it so much. Um, this was uh, another, again, another sort of scary horror episode back to back, but this one worked way better for me. So I guess mm-hmm. that's the answer is that zombie spacesuits um, work better than scary bugs yeah. in, a, in the walls of a haunted house. No, we've had a lot of, this has been kind of horror season so yeah. far. And, well, uh, we'll see what happens next week. Yeah. It was good. All right. Well, Glenn, it was a pleasure watching the episode with you. Thank and you. And then immediately just sitting here in person and uh, ta- doing a flashcast. Thank you for joining me on the Big Red Couch. Yes, the we are. The Big Red Couch, where all podcasts come from. From Glenn's couch. Thank you to everyone out there for listening. And uh, back next week, talking about that episode with the Space Pope, or the real Pope, and the library, and all that stuff, da, 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 and maybe da, da, Subliminal da, da, Missy, da, 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 on the next Doctor Who <laughs> Flashcast. Goodbye, everybody. Doctor Who flashcast on the